I want to talk to a little, a little bit tonight about um, I don't really have a title tonight. Just some thoughts I wanted to share with you about the area of work and our, our labor for Christ. We have uh, one of the things I want to talk about. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you very much. Don, I was forgetting something. Getting old, you know, I'm slipping. See, what can I say? We have a phone campaign coming up in one week, Monday night the 8th. We're going to start the beginning of 30,000 dial-ups. And, um, and I was reflecting on our cruise. And I was reflecting how God honored our labor. There's a verse we're going to look at tonight in Proverbs. It says, A wise youth makes hay while the sun shines. But what a shame to see a lad who sleeps away his hour of opportunity. And um, we talked about this, a little bit about this a few weeks ago. But you know, we the night's coming, and we're going to look at this, when no man can work. This is our hour. I don't know there's ever been a time in history like there is today. People are so disillusioned. They're hurting more than any other. Self-inflicted hurt. Self-inflicted wounds of, of a, a philosophy of life that doesn't work, of ways of living in life that don't work. We have never seen in this country the, the decimation to the family like we see today. We've never seen in, in the history of the world the decimation of relationships like we see today. We have never seen such stress and competitiveness and hostility between the sexes like we see today. We have never seen so much unrest in the world like we see today. If you know anything about the news, if you watch what's going on at all, this world is absolutely in chaos. Absolutely chaotic. It is absolutely gone bonkers. Anything and everything is permissible in our society today. I don't know if you realize that. It's time to realize that. Anything you want to do there's a man who just recently killed a woman in New Hope. He'd been in prison five years earlier or eight years earlier for strangling another woman and turned himself in. They let him out and he just did it to another woman. You know what will happen? They'll put him in prison. He'll be a good little boy in prison and he'll be out on the street again. You mark my words. You get the guy's name. You follow him. He'll be out. Anything is permissible in our society. And and although, I had to be frank with you, and I know you feel this way too, it really galls me, it really turns my stomach to see the things going on. Underneath all the crud and all the sin are a lot of hurting people. You know? Underneath the homosexuality, underneath the child abuse, underneath the wife abuse, underneath all that goes on in our society, the divorce, the mistrust, are hurting people. People who really hurt. People who, if they knew an answer, probably would latch on to it. The only thing that they're missing is a go-between. 
is a bridge, is a person who cares. Now, I just want to take a little survey. How many of you could honestly say, I'm going to ask a few questions here so don't laugh, could say you came to Christ because someone cared about you? Raise your hand. Some individual cared. Get it up real high. Okay? That's the majority of people in this room. Alright? Some of us may have come to know Christ through the TV. Some of us may have come to know Christ through a track. Some of us may have come to know Christ through an evangelistic crusade. But by and large, every person in this room, in one way or the other, was affected by a person who cared. And I look back in my life, and I shared this with you before, I'm not going to go into the details, but I was, I was really a wretch before I came to know Christ. I really wasn't the kind of individual that I think most people will want for a friend. And I think about one individual, besides my mother, who cared about me. And I've often wondered where I'd be today if he had not reached out to me while I was still wicked. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. However, we get sinners, Christ died for us. And I've asked myself, where would I be today, where would you be today, if at the right time, someone, a human being, with God in them, didn't reach out to you? Now, as I was reading today in Genesis chapter 11, there was something here just caught my eye. I wanted to pass on to you. It's not much, but it's something pretty significant. It's verse 1. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. There's some significance to that. I think it represents their genius. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to heaven so we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Their point was they wanted something that kept them together, a bond. They were building this tower to the heavens. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If there's one people speaking the same language, they had begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel because that's where the Lord confused the language of the whole world for there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. I think it's the numeric standard or another version says that they, they, have, they, are united, they were united on one purpose and nothing they set their heart to do would be impossible for them. This is a pretty amazing thing. To stop for a moment and see what got God's attention. I mean, you know, God can do anything, right? Nothing's impossible. Do you know, this is one of the only places in the Bible that says that for men, nothing would be impossible for them to do. In fact, the only other place, even remotely similar to this, is in the Gospels where Jesus says... With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. This is the only place in the Bible I know of that says nothing they set their heart to do would be impossible for them. We better do something about it right now. Why wasn't what they set out to do impossible? Because they were of one heart and one mind. They were of one language and one speech. They were together. They were united and they could do it. 
Do you know one of the primary reasons, besides God's intervention, that we won the American Revolution was that the men who fought were united around George Washington. They were of one heart, of one mind. And if you read the account of Valley Forge, you will see that God used sovereignly that experience to mold and those men together with steel, with a steel mortar, almost with tar and glue. And they were inseparable. We were outnumbered, grossly outnumbered. We didn't have supplies. We nearly froze. Why did these men win? Well, we can obviously say God intervened. And I'm saying that from experience uh, reading history as an amateur historian, reading history. This is what these men thought themselves. Many a time at Valley Forge, in the, in the books, the diaries of his colonels and majors, they would come upon George in the middle of winter in his, in his knees, on his knees, with holes in his pants, kneeling in the frozen snow, praying to God for their situation. They loved George Washington. And when he left, when he left, when he gave his farewell speech, not one man in the room had a dry eye. And it was literally like the account of Paul with the Ephesian elders when they threw themselves on Paul and wept. They loved this man. They were united and God blessed. One of the reasons I believe that the cruise came off the way it did was because we knit together. Common bond. We strove together. We worked together. And God blessed. God will never bless disunity. God will never bless. And you see, here's what you got to remember. God knows the hearts. Okay? So when we sit here today, we may have different backgrounds, we may speak a little different, we may be doing all different things in life, but God knows in our heart, are we united with the person sitting next to us and are we in love with our fearless leader? Are we in love with Jesus Christ? Do we care about what He cares about? Do we have on our heart what's on His heart? He knows that. He knows that. And I was really challenged by this, that here were these people who did not know Christ, and God actually had to come down and thwart them because nothing they set their heart to do would be impossible for them to do. I want you to go now to the book of John. The book of John in chapter 9. And verse 1. It says, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? that he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he said, wash in the pool of Siloam. The word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. I thought this was interesting. Jesus, I want to hone in just simply here. Here Jesus had come along in life. I want you to realize that first of all, the timing of this is pretty amazing. Jesus is coming along. Here was this blind man. And what does Jesus say? This man is here exclusively for the glory of God. He didn't sin. His parents didn't sin. That's not why people are blind. Things happen to people for the glory of God. For God to work great things in people's lives. It's a good way to look at your circumstances. Because God is still doing this today. But God, Jesus said, okay, listen guys, there's another lesson here besides this. 
The fact is, it's daytime. And we got work to do. Night is coming when none of us will be able to work anymore. As long as I'm here, we're going to work. I like that. And I want to I want to ask us to think about that tonight. Is that our attitude? Is that our spirit? There's a number of parallels we could draw. Number one, so a lot of you were raised probably on a farm or near a farm, or had friends that were raised on a farm. What do you think it would be like to have a farmer go out, plant the crop, God blesses the crop, it, it rains, you know, he gets the rain he needs, the sun shines, it grows, and it's a, it's a bumper crop. And so uh, the harvest comes along, and dad and son are, um, you know, it's kind of a family business. And dad goes out, and he's out in the combine, and, and you know, bringing the corn in. And, and he, you know, is trying to motivate this kid to get on. The kid, oh, I'm tired, dad. Oh, dad, I just want to play around. Oh, dad, I just don't, I just don't feel like working. You know, we'd say the kid's an idiot, you know. He, he's an idiot. This, this is the time for harvest. Harvest to be over, there'd be lots of time for play. There'd be lots of time to go do whatever you want to do. But now's the time. What, if this stuff rots, and it can rot, right out in the field, we lose all this money, kid. Open your eyes. Oh, I don't know. I just got other things to do. Or I just, you know, it doesn't look ready to me. Or I just don't want to do the work. Proverbs says, a wise youth makes hay when the sun shines. But what a shame to see a lad who sleeps away is our opportunity. This is your opportunity. Number one, the phones for you is your opportunity to get involved. It is your opportunity to make history. It is your opportunity to make God's history book. Not mine. Doesn't matter what I want. It matters what God wants. God is keeping the record books, you know. God is writing all this down. And there's a day coming, and your day could be tomorrow. Your day, my day, could be five years from now. Christ could come back at the end of this month. And our night would be on us. And then we'll be vacationing for all eternity. Well, you think sometimes you get tired right now, and you just like a vacation. Do you realize that heaven is one big vacation? Only vacation with a purpose. And you'll never get tired of it. And you'll never get bored. You'll never get old. You'll never get tired. You'll never get sick. You'll never get frustrated. Never. But you and I have an opportunity now to work. To work. And work and work. And work is what it takes. Do you know, I'm challenged by um, the Oriental people. Particularly those, I mean, I'm familiar with all types of Oriental people. But in my mind right now, I'm thinking of the Vietnamese and Cambodian refugees that have come over to this country. They have come over to this country with a particular mindset. Most of them. Okay? Their mindset is, America is a land of opportunity. In America, anybody can be what they want to be if they work hard enough to be it. And you know that the average income of a Vietnamese, Cambodian refugee in this country that has not known the language, that came over here at 16, 17, or 20, is $25,000 a year, more than some of you in this room make. Or more than you think you can make. And they didn't even know the language. And they come over here, and they sacrifice, and they work, and they work, and many of them are in their own business. Let alone working for somebody else. They're in their own business. Keeping their own books, learning everything they can get their hands on. In this country, do you know what we do? We give everything away. 
We do have intense poverty among Hispanics, among blacks, among many whites, but not nearly as many as black or Hispanic or other types of nationalities in this country. Do you know the difference in the mindset? The difference in the mindset is this country owes me something. You owe me something. Do you know this city has right now approximately the lowest unemployment rate in the United States? That means there's a lot of jobs. You know why there's a lot of jobs? Because there aren't people, good people, to fill the jobs. We don't have a work ethic in this country anymore. Everybody thinks Uncle Sam, Big Brother, and everybody next door to him owes them everything. And primarily it has been my experience. I have had no training in my life whatsoever. No college. That if someone wants to work and is willing to work, that you may have to break your back. You can provide the needs of your family, let alone yourself. Now, let's transplant that whole mindset to Christianity. We have become convinced today that all the same people are saved. And the country's down the toilet. And the world's down the toilet. And unless God just does this incredible revival, nothing's going to happen. And do you know what I'm convinced God is up there saying? I don't know you guys, nothing. I have been working, working, working. Now get out in the field. I mean, oh, oh God, you got to bless. I said, what do you mean I got to bless? I've been blessing. If you get out in the field, you'd find that out. If you and I get out, build those bridges, you'd be amazed at the people who would respond to you. You know, I see things from that cruise that maybe don't even enter your mind. I see people who for the first time in their life have been uninhibited without alcohol. Do you realize that? Do you realize that on that cruise, most of those people, that's the first time they've had that kind of a good time in their life without substance abuse? Do you know why? Because the only way to get uninhibited and confident and be not afraid of what people think of you is to drink. That's the first thing people notice on the cruise. Secondly, you know what else they noticed? Do you notice the broad mixture of people there? If I excuse my language here, we had tall, big, skinny, short, every size and shape, every age of people, and everybody had a good time. Do you know why? Because of you all. Because the girls didn't have to feel like someone's breathing down their neck, chasing them all over, and the guys didn't feel like, you know, I'm supposed to be Mr. Macho Cool. You know, that had an impression on my brother. That had an impression on my brother, who's, who's going to a Bible school, that that's all that matters. You don't think that matters. You think the secular college is bad. You ought to see what goes on at many Bible schools in this country. And I'm telling you, people were amazed. They look at you, they go, man, look at these people. And they care. They're genuine. They're really genuine. And they sit down and say, how are you doing? How many people in a day do you meet that are genuine? How many people do you meet that really care how you feel? That care what's going on in your life? See? And I'm telling you, the harvest is big. The harvest is plenteous. You know, I think since I've been here, probably a year and eight months, I've met over 20 or 30 people that in one way or the other have started to get involved in this fellowship. Myself. Myself. Now, some of them are gone. Some have gone on to other things. Some of them moved out. You know, it's always the law. I mean, not everybody, they didn't stay with Jesus. Remember that. Remember that. It just takes a lot of work, a lot of sowing, a lot of watering, a lot of fertilizer, a lot of reaping. And you know what? A lot of the crop comes in and then rots. 
A lot of the crop comes in and then you don't get the price for it in the market you thought you could. But a lot of the crop stays. We've got to change our mindset. And if we change our mindset, I believe in a not very far distant future, this group alone could be to 100. Because there are people out there that want something more than what they see in life. They want something more. They want real friends. Second thing I believe is you begin to realize there really is a purpose for sweating and bleeding and toiling for. There really is a purpose. Ask yourself this. Really seriously. Ask yourself, when was the last time you sweat? The last time you bled? The last time you cried? The last time you were really exhausted because of Jesus Christ? Because of a fellow human being that God thought it was worth enough to get crucified, mangled, butchered, ripped to shreds for. Think about that now. Think about that. When is the last time? God cannot stop. He cannot help it but bless men and women with that kind of a mindset. With that kind of a mentality. That are united together to labor for Him. I want you to turn to the book of Haggai. And um, that's in the Old Testament. It's after Zephaniah. Not too far ahead of the New Testament. And I want to read you something here that really challenged me today. I don't know what where you guys are thinking of Evergreen Community Church. I mean, but I got to tell you, I am I am absolutely excited out of my mind with what God is doing, with the things God is beginning to do, the things God has done this summer alone with New Life. The things that God is doing in individuals' lives, the things that God is preparing, the ideas that God is giving. One young lady, someone sharing with me tonight, um, was was explaining to a friend some of the name changes we've had and why, and she said, you know, you guys are really creative. I mean, it really amazes me and really encouraging me to see the care and the thought and the creativity that's gone into the names that you've brought together. I had a, a young lady tell me a Sunday ago um, who came for the first time. It was her first time there. She said, the minute I walked in this room, said, I had a little baby. She said, the minute I walked in this room, I knew I was at home. I sat down. My son started to cry. And I walked with him the whole time because you had me riveted to everything you were saying related to me. Help my life. It is a misnomer. I just want to say this. Brent and I have talked about this. Sunday morning is for you. If you don't think you can get something out of Sunday morning, think again. Think again. It's for you. It's for everybody. And, and I was so, you know, this girl, she came over. We had her over for dinner. And she said, Mark, she said, this is exactly what I was looking for. She said, do you know how many churches I have been in in the last eight months that primarily are old? They're old? They're old? There's nobody young? She said, I couldn't believe it. I look in this sea of young men and women, this sea of babies, this sea of families. She said, that spoke to me. She went to a friendship group that night. She said, you know what spoke to me? I knew this would happen. Now I got an example. She said, they were professionals. That's, she said, that's what I was looking for. Professionals. People who are ambitious. People who are accomplishing something in life. I want to be a part of that kind of a group. And there are a ton of people looking for that. Because you know what they think of Christians? Christians are people who can't do nothing else in life. They're like people who join the army. You know why people 
to join the army, don't you? Because they can't do nothing else in life. And that is what the heathen think of you. That is what the non-church thinks primarily of born-again Christians. They can't do nothing else in life. Well, I want to tell you, I like to talk to them. Boy, will we change their mind. Just let them get around us. And they'll find out. They'll find out that God makes a person the neatest person in the world to be around. That is the person who's letting God shine out of them. They care. They're vivacious. Do you know that the Bible commands... You know, I don't know exactly the term vivacious, but it means outgoing, effervescent. Do you know the Bible commands you to be effervescent? Do you know in Romans it says, always keeping spiritually aglow? Now what do you think that means? Do you think sometimes it's not my personality? Well, it better change. Because God wants us to be effervescent. And what I always think of, you know what I think of? I think the world is dark, right? And Jesus is the light of the world, right? And the world is dark. Do you know what exactly the perfect analogy for that is? Do you remember the old concerts when they turn the light out and you buy those green jobbies, those green things that are a tube that glow in the dark and everyone holds them up? Or you remember when you were a kid and you went to vacation Bible school and memorized your verse? They gave you the little kid that's white, kneeling, praying, and you hang it up to the, put it up to the 100-watt bulb and you go into a dark room and it glows? Now let me tell you something. In a dark world, if you glow, everybody will see you. If you don't glow, nobody will notice you. That's what it means to keep spiritually aglow. Don't keep your light under a basket. Get out, get the basket off. Break out man of those shells and, and let people see what life is really about. That's why I say new life is really living. That's really true. I believe that. That's the truth. It's really living. Cocaine isn't. Alcohol isn't. Sex isn't. Money isn't. New life in Christ is. And you've got it. And I've got it. And if we, there is no stopping what we can do if we get united, one-minded, one-hearted, and zealous and excited for Jesus Christ. There's nothing we can't do. The Bible tells us to be as harmless as a dove, but as shrewd as a serpent. That means the wise man scales the wall of the mighty and brings down what he trusts in. You don't blow it out of his water. You know, we would just love, we always want the road of least resistance, don't we? We want the easy way. You know the easy way? You need Christ or you're going to hell. Bam! And if you don't like it, tough tell it to God. Well, that's easy. Oh man, I could do that. We could go stand on the street and do that. We could go stand on the campus and do that. We can do that anywhere you want to go do it. You want to know something? You know what people are going to think of you? You're just going to drive the nail in the coffin even more what they think of God and Christianity. That's what you're going to do. Do you know what a wise man will do? A wise man wins souls. A wise man wins them. Winning. Do you know what he means? You know why the twins win? Because they earned it. They fought for it. They trained for it. They developed for it. They practiced for it. And then they went through a series of a bunch of games. And they had to win every one. They had to win. And they won a following as they won. That's, only, that's how you're going to win people. We, we would like so much to convert people to Christianity. God wants us to win people to Christ. He'll change the way they live. You quit worrying about the way people live and win them to your Savior. When your Savior, bam, comes in them, how are they going to stop God from changing their life? You ever think about that? 
It's like how are you going to stop a nuclear bomb from nuking you if it's right there and you're here? Well, you can't stop it. You're nuked. Once God gets in you, the change starts. And then once they start to feed like a newborn baby, they grow. See? It's just that simple. Now, God and Haggai, I just want to read this to you. It really challenged me today. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, The time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panel houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Have you ever felt that way? You ever felt this? Right what it's saying here? Or look at Christianity today. This is to me a real stark picture of Christianity today as a whole. There are certainly parts that are wonderful, but as a whole. This is what the Lord says then. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains, bring down timber, build a house, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. You expected much, but see it turned out to be little. What you brought home I blew away. Why, declares the Lord? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crop is called for a drought. I called for a drought on the fields, and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces on men and cattle, and on the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shittil, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of God and the message of the prophet because the Lord God had sent them and the people feared the Lord. And then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shittil, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work in the house of the Lord their God on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Oh, boy, does this hit home. You know, think about this for a minute. Now, I'm going to share some things with you. You can scoff, laugh. I'm not going to say that this particular thing I'm going to say is absolutely true. But from what I understand of the Bible... Do you know who I think we can blame this drought on? Christianity. From what I know of Israeli history, from what I know of biblical history, droughts came because God was opposed to what was going on with His people. You were wrong. Do you know what Peter says? We are living stones being built up to a living house for God. You know Matthew 6.33 commands? Seek ye First, the kingdom of God and His business and all these things will be added to you. You wonder sometimes, you wonder sometimes why Christianity is being decimated? You wonder sometimes why it is being crunched underfoot? You wonder sometimes why it does not seem to be prospering? As Brent and I were driving around to print shop today, we saw a car in front of us in the window said, God rules. We looked at each other and thought to ourselves, it's a neat bumper sticker. I wonder if it's true of the people driving that car. I wonder if God rules their life. Just not a judgment, just a stimulating thought as we're thinking of our own life. 
Does God really rule? Bro, we're so proud of that. Oh, man. <coughs> we think it's neat, you know. <coughs> Our God reigns. Yep, God is in control. Is He really? Is He Lord of your life? Does He really call the shots in your life? Does He call the shots according to this book? Is this book what you model your life after? Listen, God's house is laying desolate today. God's concerns are being taken up by very few men and women. Very few. And I want you to know, new life is not about playing church. I'm not into playing church. I played that a long time in my life. Long enough till it made me sick. And I know many of you, if not all of you, don't want to play church. You want the real thing. I want the real thing. I want to see God. And we go out and say, all right, God, we're going to leave our houses. We're so diligent to make sure that everything's taken care of in our life. We're so diligent to make sure we get our sleep, we get our food, you know, we pay our bills, we have our cushions, we have our bank accounts, we have our CDs, we have our mutual funds, we have our retirement plan. What about God, man? What about God's house and God's business? You and I are going to die. Your CDs are going to die. Your bank account's going to burn. <coughs> I don't know if you realize that. It's going to burn. And it's not wrong to plan. But I want to tell you something. If we really believe a generous man prospers, then we'd be giving away a lot more, both of money and time. Do you understand that? You see, the only way we can judge on our own life, do I really believe this is, well, let me ask myself, what have I done the last week? What have I done the last month? What am I really doing? Am I hoarding all that I have? Do you know the Bible promises that he or she who hoards, God will get it. He'll take it away. He'll just take it away. And then you'll, you'll lose even what you thought you had. But the generous man will prosper and he refreshes others. We'll be refreshed. Boy, I tell you, God wants to raise up a standard of living among us that is different than the standard of living the world has. That is truly generous. That is truly giving. That is truly outgoing. That is just pouring it on. You know, let's talk about Jesus for a little bit. You know? What, what kind of a bank account did he have? You know? What kind of insurance plan did Jesus have? Well, he leave his mother. A guy to take care of her. That's what he left. A man. A bunch of men that took care of her. The next thing you know, she's right there with him. Persecuted and all. Would Jesus leave to anybody? Except the greatest thing in the world. And you know God wants us to be Christ-like. That's what all this means. Do you understand? That's what all the Bible means. That's why it's all so relevant. Sure, God wants you to have a job. Sure, God wants you to plan. And God wants you to take care of your own needs and the needs of the person next to you. Did you know that's what the Bible says in Acts chapter 20? Paul says, These hands have worked to supply not only my needs, but the needs of those who are with me. Paul says, I work to give, to be generous to the poor, to give to others, to share with others. I want to tell you, we have an opportunity with this phones for you. Number one, we need more workers. We need more people on the phone. It doesn't matter whether you think you can talk over the phone or not. All that matters is are you willing to work. That's all. God will do everything else. It may be the scariest thing in your life, you know. That's okay. It wasn't easy for Moses to go to Pharaoh. God's not asking you to go to Pharaoh. He could. He's given the opportunity to work over a phone. Not even see the person. Just talk on the phone. Read it off the sheet. 
with a program that has not only been tried and tested, <coughs> but that God has blessed. And I think it's a golden opportunity that I want to encourage as many of you as possible to get involved in. We need three work, three weeks of intense work. Three weeks. And I know many of you that are involved in various things during the summer. Summer softball season, volleyball season, all kinds of things. Intense effort. Well, you're there. This is an opportunity to make your nights count for Christ. We need people to lick stamps, people to address envelopes. 3,000 to be exact. Hand-addressed envelopes. Let alone the phone calls, the filing. And do you want to know what? It's not going to cost anybody in this room blood. And it costs the Lord His blood. It cost Him His life. None of us are going to die. In fact, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. You're going to have the opportunity not to remain alone. You're going to have, to have the opportunity to have an abundant life. And I tell you, I'm just so excited with what God has in, the, in our future. I really am. I believe we have the potential in the next two years that we have a permit to fill that building. If we work. If we work. If we work. If we work. Do you know, do you know I almost believe personally that we could have a prayer meeting once every six months if we worked God would bless just as much if not more that's how much I believe there's a need for work to work because God work is faith faith without works is dead <clears throat> so prayer without works isn't faith at all my friend it's talk it's show it's show it's show and tell time that's all prayer is work shows our faith work proves beyond any shadow of a doubt we believe what God says in his word and you and I have that opportunity wherever we're involved with whatever church whether it's every green community a different church another fellowship I want to tell you get involved in work give your life for Jesus Christ give your life you'll never regret it I was visiting with some people today uh, this evening and we were talking about if you could do whatever you want to do what would you want to do and we were talking about and I said you know I do what I'm doing this is what I've always wanted to do. Always. Always. It is, this has been the most exciting years of my life. Laboring for Jesus Christ. Going through trials for Christ. Growing for Christ. Failing for Christ. If you've never failed, then I want to tell you something. You've never stepped out in faith. You've never taken any risk. Only people who take risks fail. Only people who try fail. People who never failed, never really tried anything that was a risk for them. They may be a straight-A student, big deal. You know the straight-A student never took their books home? That isn't success. You're born with that. Do you know people who can, who can run, I mean, you know, like there's no tomorrow? I mean, that's just what they're born to do. People who are success, su successes are those that have tried things that there was really... They, they, which really took an attempt it really was beyond them and they had failures a lot of failures before he ever succeeded Babe Ruth struck out more than any other batter in history maybe not now because Hank Aaron beat his home run record you know so maybe Hank Aaron does but he did he tried harder but you know home runners have that problem they're always trying to kill the ball that's why they hit home runs Pete Rose probably didn't strike out more because he was just a consistent all around guy that got on base he was a different kind of hitter. We don't ever fail if we don't try, and we don't ever succeed if we don't fail. 
I'm not afraid to fail. I mean, this whole church falls on its nose. It falls on its nose. I'll start all over. It's the same God. We have the same God. If everything we're doing just goes down the toilet, then I'll take it from God. Start all over again. But all I know is that all God is asking me and you to do is do what His Word says. And as He does that, man, is He pour on the blessing. Is He pour on the blessing. I'm going to pass around this sheet as we close tonight. And if you've not had the opportunity to sign up for the Phones for You campaign, we still need a good number of individuals to work the phones or to do whatever. If you want to be a a secretary person, if you want to write envelopes, just write down your name, your phone number, and what you could do. But starting the 8th, the 8th, Monday night the 8th, for four hours a night in two-hour blocks, starting, I think it's at 6 o'clock, from 6 till 10 hours, maybe it's from... I think it's 6 to 10. We're going to need people five nights a week calling on the phone. We're going to make 30,000 dial-ups. Uh, we, Brent has done a fantastic, phenomenal job on the literature. You wait till you see it. It'll be very, very easy for each one of you to do. Even if you, it, He's got down a, a, a brain teaser sheet for any possible questions someone might ask you and you wouldn't know the answer. He's got the answers written down and what the question might be. He's got down exactly what you're going to say. He's got down exactly the response card. Everything. He is a whiz. And it is going to be very successful. I expect it to be the most successful thing we have ever tried since I've been involved with the church. And as we get together, as we unite together, God is going to bless. God promises, says in Isaiah, He waits on high to have compassion. He longs to be gracious to us. But you know, God does want to know that we're worthy of it. God doesn't bless laziness, friends. God doesn't bless the lad that sleeps during his hour of opportunity. That brings shame not only to the lad, but to his father. And and I want God, and I know you want God to be honored. See? We want Him to be honored. I'd like nothing more than, than to have our reputation be they are the hardest working group of men and women I have ever met in my life. Don't keep saying, well, tomorrow. Well, someday, you know, when God calls me to India, God will never call you to India. God will never really call anybody anywhere who hasn't worked now. You keep being faithful on your job. You keep being faithful where you're at. And God will bless. Let's pray. Thank the Lord for our time tonight. And if you could, uh, pass that around. Please take some time to sign that. uh, Get that signed if you're interested. Lord, we want to thank you tonight for the new life you gave us, Lord. I I tell you, Lord, I'm just so thrilled and so excited with what you're doing in our midst. But Lord, I'm not content. I'm not content, Lord. There's at least a half a million people in this metro area who go nowhere for church. And there's probably a million people, maybe more, maybe a million and a half, who do not know Jesus Christ in this city. And I ask you, God, that you would use me, that you'd use my brother and my sister here tonight to reach out to that million and a half, that specifically would use us to 30,000 individuals, to 3,000 that would respond with interest to what we're trying to do. Lord, everything we're doing is because people are important to you and because they are important to us. 
And God, I just pray that you'd give us grace, you'd give us a hunger, an insatiable desire to use our talents, to use our breath, to use our, our energy, our energy, our brain power, our muscle power, our backs, our legs, our feet, our minds, our creativity for Jesus Christ and for His business. Lord, you promised that you'd provide whatever we need and you'll keep your word. Maybe we haven't seen it because we haven't done our end of the promise. Lord, change our lives. God, really bless this effort. Bless new life. I pray, Lord, for our time, the 20th, that you'd really bless it, that, God, you'd bring even more new people, that you bring more of our friends, and that people would know that new life cares about people, that Evergreen Community Church cares about people, and we care enough to do something about it. We care enough to mingle with the non-churched, with the seeker. We care enough to get involved. Thank you for our time. Thank you for the marvelous summer we've had together. Lord, we look forward to starting up again in the fall.